This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have David Richards. Hello. Dave Kimura. Hey, everybody. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. We're recording this the day after Christmas, and I have a Christmas present for you. If you want a View podcast or an Elixir podcast or a React podcast, um, you can go support those on Indiegogo, and we're pulling those together right now. So uh, just throwing those out there. Uh, We also have a special guest this week, and that's Amit Chowdhury. Yeah. Hey, guys. Hey, now um, we had you scheduled to talk about Ruby 2.5 and we talked about that last week. So, you know, we were like, well, we'll just come up with a new topic and we'll have you around. Uh, So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where you come from on something you didn't prepare for. But um, do you want to just give everybody a brief introduction? Let them know who you are, where you're from, why you're famous, all that stuff. Yeah, surely. So... Yeah, uh, I'm based out of Bangalore, Bangalore, India. Uh, so I'm basically a Ruby on Rails developer, but yeah, working on a few other technologies too, like React. Uh, and a few days back, I started working on Elixir too. So yeah, as as I told, I mean, since my favorite language is Ruby, so I like working in Ruby, Ruby on Rails. And that's why I agreed to do a port, podcast on Ruby 2.5. And yeah, um, I did write a few blogs a few days back on Ruby 2.5 releases, and it was fun. Um, we have few interesting and yeah, just just to uh, give you some. So uh, when when I wrote those blogs, it was like preview release. But yeah, on Christmas just yesterday, we got two point five point zero released. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you people can try it out. So it's fun, and we we have few major changes coming up and few optimizations and all those stuff too. So this this was all the technical background and. Uh, yeah, so I have something around uh, three and a half years of experience uh, working in the software industry and currently working with a company named as Big Binary. So yeah, w- working remotely. So that's a fun too. So previously I used to go to offices and yeah, now since last six months, I'm working remotely and enjoying it completely, working in my own time zone and at different places. So productivity is a bit on a higher side. And yeah, I think that's it. Uh, yeah, and we 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 discussed that like, like we were decided that we will be doing a podcast on Ruby two point five. But uh, I think I think we will be now doing a podcast on holidays, holidays deployment, and how to handle this. So yeah, I'm pretty excited. Let's see how it goes. Awesome. Now, um, do you want to just tell us really quick where those blog posts are, and then we'll talk about what we're actually going to talk about today. Uh, blog, blog, blog post about Ruby 2.5 you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah, just, uh, so we at Big Binary write a lot of blogs. So we believe in sharing information a lot. So I'm sharing link here too. And you can go to blog.bigbinary.com. And 
I think a few people can open it. Then the last article is also on Ruby 2.5. Second last is 2.5. A lot of articles on 2.5. Awesome. I've been going through your blog. You guys have a lot of good, good core content. Also some interesting books you guys have written. So some good stuff there at Big Binary. Oh, that, that sounds great that uh, you have been to our blogs. Yeah, we really believe in sharing information. So whenever we feel that this is something worth to be shared or may, maybe even something which is not worth, but yeah, people can find it helpful. We just write it. So we are doing the same with, we did the same with Ruby 2.5 and we are doing the same with like last since, uh, since few years. We are we, we are doing uh, writing writing tons of blogs. So yeah, if I mean, people are finding it helpful, so yeah, we are happy with this. So nice. I think, yeah, uh, in this blog, I mean, the uh, if you go to this website, we have covered me- majority of the features, which is uh, new in Ruby 2.5. So, yeah, all the new blogs on Ruby are on Ruby 2.5. And uh, there are a few blogs written by me, something around three, and few other people. I mean, uh, someone gets time, then he can just put pick any uh, any blog, any knowledge sharing blog, and he can just write it. He, she can just write it. So we did the same, and I think now it's going good. We have a pretty good number of views on our blogs. Nice. That's awesome. Well, I encourage people to go check that out and uh, we'll have a meet back on to talk about something that um, he's prepared to talk about. But today we're going to talk about holidays and how holidays uh, affect our schedules as developers. Um, I'm curious, has anyone, you know, since you, especially David, since, uh, no, was it David or Dave that that suggested it? (laughs) Yeah, it was me. Um, I, I like causing trouble. So, so have you actually had to do an emergency deploy on the holiday or deployed right before the holiday and been worried you'd have to come back in and fix stuff or anything like that? Uh, you know, um, yeah, sure. Let's say I have because it happens. Um, but really, you know, the issue isn't so much about the holiday. The holiday shouldn't matter. There's nothing magical about a holiday that will uh, affect your deployment. It's not like computers care. Computers don't care about what day it is. But the thing that matters is communication and staffing. So you have to, and the biggest thing about deploying around a holiday is to make sure that you have communicated not only to your customers, but to your staff as well, and make sure that you're appropriately staffed to handle a deployment. And that should be true no matter what day of the week it is. So if, uh, or what day of the year it is. So if you're running on a minimal staff, like a graveyard uh, staff, and you just don't have the people available to deploy, then you're really going to have to consider like, should we even deploy even though it's an emergency because the aftermath of a bad deployment could be even worse and we don't have access to the appropriate people to handle the crisis. But even then, there's a lot of things that you can do to help mitigate risks. And those are things that you can put in place in your process throughout the year to where when you actually come against a emergency deployment on the holiday, you have lower risk in making changes to the production environment. And those are some things that we can kind of jump into and get everyone's thoughts on. So I can I could speak for a minute about what happens when that doesn't happen. <laughs> you know, Thanksgiving this year was spent uh, fixing a, a broken deploy. Oh, um, man. 
<laughs> yeah, half, half the day. <laughs> I was around for the big meal though, so that was nice. But, but you know, yeah, it, it's true because right then at that moment, people start switching to think about, okay, family, holiday, travels, other things are happening. And, um, and then have to come back and figure out how to, how to do that. What should we do or what's going on? Um, and not having people around to just talk it through and, and figure out, okay, now who wrote this code and then what was it supposed to do? And, you know, how do I get into this system? But so that's kind of scary. You know, you, we can laugh at ourselves, but I, I like that the day after that, you know, or when we all get back to the office and now we're talking, okay, let's get some documentation. Let's get some, uh, bug fixes handled. Let's reorder how we do things. We, we tend to wisen up a little bit, um, at least sometimes. I was going to say, I hope so. I mean, I've, I've worked at places where, you know, not necessarily a holiday emergency. Um, I, I've had to come in on holidays once or twice when I worked in IT. You know, the server is down is the, the email I get or the, the phone call <laughs> right. I get, right? Um, and uh, yeah, um, you know, so I've, I've been there, but, and, and it sucks. And then what happens is, is that the, the people who make the decisions, who run the teams, don't always adapt to, um, to that. So they don't, they don't look at it and say, okay, how do we avoid this next time? And so, yeah, so they run the risk of, of having that happen again, where I have to come back in on another Christmas or New Year's because something's busted because I'm not the only person working on stuff on my team. And that yeah. can either bring the, the team together or really drive us apart. You know, if we start blaming each other, it's kind of a human moment, too, of saying, oh, wait, this person who was conscientious and smart generally made a mistake. And I, I multiplied that mistake by 10 because it interfered with Thanksgiving, uh, which, like, like Dave says, you know, the, 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 the computer doesn't care what day it is. <laughs> it's only me that cares that it was Thanksgiving and I was, you know, far away at, at, at another home. Yeah, so it's, it's such an interesting topic because, you know, historically it's always like, hey, don't deploy before a holiday or don't deploy around a holiday because, you know, of the risk assessment. But at the same time, the holidays are really like kind of like the perfect time to deploy simply because you have the least number of users around a holiday. So you're impacting the least number of people. Yep. So from that perspective, you know, it can be a great thing and something that you can really use to your advantage. But it's what happens when something goes wrong. I remember several years back, those maybe 10 years ago now. I was working at a uh, as a system administrator for a company, and we had this large uh, storage array that completely crashed right on Christmas Eve. And I was local, so I was able to get into the office and fix the issue. But uh, the problem was that the RAID controller died. And because the RAID controller died, the entire RAID array was basically dead. So we had all these disks that I had to basically try to recover. So I did a, um, a very low-level recovery on the actual bits and bytes that were stored on the magnetic platters, and it took me 72 straight hours to do. I mean, I oh, was gosh. completely exhausted. So like 
uh, Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas Day, day after Christmas. It was just completely brutal. But, um, you know, as people were coming in, like that following Tuesday at 8 a.m., I had uh, just finished getting 99% of the data recovered and the storage array rebuilt. And unfortunately, our backups did not work because the um, what would be the equivalent of a, um, a partition table for our backup drives were stored on this RAID array. So like the worst of worst possible scenarios and all of the company's data was digital stored on this array. So we had a massive single point of failure. But what we did take away from that was we needed to invest some resources into this to make sure that if this happens again, then we are not in a position where there is a huge risk. So having a redundant storage array where the data is copied over to, even though that's twice as expensive, you reduce risk by a large factor. And so that's one of the things that we took away. And then also planning for a disaster recovery. So uh, it's important that when you have a critical part of your application that uh, a, it's not a matter of uh, if a disaster will happen, it's a matter of when a disaster will happen. So it's really important to have a uh, periodically tested data, uh, a, whether it's your data, so a, um, a data recovery or data restoration plan in place and to test it to make sure that your backups are working, that you do have a good and fast plan to get your application or whatever back online to serve the customers that are paying for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like the uh, that you pointed out because this is something that I've run into too. Yeah, in some cases, we wind up doing the upgrades right around the holiday because we'll have lower traffic and it'll have a lower impact. And yeah, just working through that and working around it and then having the right people then you then you have the people the right people on call to deal with any unexpected problems that come up because they know that you're doing it. And then yeah, having a plan also really makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, if if we're talking about doing a deployment, maybe the previous week you had a code update or something that uh, now it's the holiday and you have to do a emergency patch. You know, those could be really tricky as well because we run into so many situations where there's a bug in the system that just cannot wait until your next deployment and it just happens to fall around a holiday. And I think that's where things get really tricky. You know, if you can avoid deploying around a holiday, you know, you probably should make the necessary arrangements. But in those situations where you do have to deploy to fix a production bug or something, then it's best to start with communication. You know, communicate with your bosses, communicate with all the stakeholders of that application to say like, hey, look, we have to do a deployment. We want to make sure that we have a uh, dev that's on call or, you know, ready to jump in and help us out. You have the appropriate DevOps people, QA people, whomever uh, available to handle the deployment. And then also for the aftermath of the deployment that you have people on call for support if something critical comes up with that deployment. So, um, you know, that's just for the actual process of doing a deployment, having the appropriate staff or people available. 
I like the um, I like what you're saying there. Um, I, I like also that if something is happening, if we have the the skeleton team in in place, and then if something were going wrong, that we we quickly assemble. Like for example, um, we had a, a big problem at work, and uh, everything was well. Some some critical issues had happened, and so within about a minute of that happening, I was point. And I took over on the Slack and I'm, I'm pushing everything around and, and I'm, I'm making assignments. And then within about three minutes after that, um, I've got to be on keyboard. I've got to be looking up information. So I signed somebody else point. So we went from one person watching to about 12 people involved. And it worked really well because during a bad deploy, um, you know, where, where customers are affected, uh, staying coordinated as it's happening was, it was kind of exciting, actually. It's a little bit exhilarating to, to look at that and say, oh, wow, that actually worked well. You know, we don't expect problems, but when they do happen, we had the right people in place and, and other people could take over and we, we gracefully worked different roles together until everything was resolved. And then we'll come back next week after the holidays and take a look at, well, what happened? And how do we improve? How do we how do we not have that again? Yeah. Yep. And you know what does not work during a disaster or a deployment is having to keep management involved or having them bug you every five minutes for an update. You know, <laughs> uh, if this happens, I'm I'm so serious about this too. If this no, happens at your I've company, have to have a heart in heart with management because that is so counterproductive. You know, maybe invite them temporarily onto your dev Slack channel or whatever so they can kind of see the updates as they're happening. But to have to send out periodic things, any and I think anything more than once an hour is super excessive. 15-minute updates or something to management when they're not actually providing core input to resolution. Uh, they're not providing any value to that then anything more than once an hour is super excessive. I'll tell you what we've done on my teams is basically, um, yeah, we send the periodic updates, but we actually tell them, we anticipate that it will be done by 3 o'clock. So don't expect to hear from us until it's either done or 3 o'clock, right? And then we'll tell you why it's not done. <laughs> and that, that gives us a whole bunch of runway. And then if everything goes as expected and we're done by 3 then they check their email at 3 o'clock or get a text before 3 o'clock and they know that it's all taken care of. And, and that way they're not, you know, they're not bugging the team lead or anything about, you know, what's going on and, and, you know, oh, is it done yet? And, oh, I really want to, you know, tell our customers about this or anything. It's, look, you, you know, don't plan on anything until 3 o'clock. One thing I would like to share, I mean, uh, the thing which which lead, lead to these things. So I have uh, seen sometimes that what happens is around holidays, people tend to take uh, some days off around the holidays. So they can have a long weekend or long holidays planned. So they plan to go, uh, go out or something like that. But what they try to do is they try to cover a lot of things before holidays. So what they try to do is like um, uh, they want to finish a lot of stuff so that uh, some call uh, manager doesn't uh, manager doesn't need to call them or something like that. So what happens at that point of time just before the holidays? So we generally tend to like uh, write lesser number of test cases or specs or documentation something like that. That and we just 
try to complete things before holidays so that we can go in a, like what uh, tension free mode uh, for a long uh, vacation or something like that and in that scenario what happens is like since you are you are trying to complete a lot of stuff without uh, proper testing and all those stuff that can lead to some like uh, some bad deployment or maybe maybe the person who is handling the bad deployment doesn't know about it because it is not properly documented or documented uh, or or there are no test cases for it so i have seen this too uh, which uh, which i mean i have worked on holidays few years just two years back because of this so this was one issue which i faced because of another developer who just tried to finish all the these stuff uh, because uh, he just doesn't want it to be uh, uh, disturbed between the holidays so this is one thing too which i uh, which i would like to share absolutely Yep. You know, so a, a couple of things that you said, testing, having good code coverage uh, on your application is super duper important. Like if you don't have good coverage on your application through automated tests uh, with continuous integration, you probably should really question about doing any kind of fixes on a production environment. You know, those are really important nowadays. Not only that, but having code reviews. You know, that's also really important to have another set of eyes because, you know, even if you know that application inside and out, you're still prone to mistakes because you are and we are humans. And therefore, having another set of eyes, they may catch something that you did not notice. And with the documentation point you made, I think that's also super important. If you have a set of tasks that are for the deployment, that these are the things that you do every time in order to have a, a successful or mostly successful deployment, if there's anything that falls outside of those normal steps, if they're not documented and communicated, then bad things are going to happen. Whether it's a rate test that has to be ran in order to populate some kind of data or whatever it may be. If that's not clearly documented in a uh, predefined place for these kind of notes, then you run, you increase your risk for a bad deployment, and especially around holidays where it can be much more detrimental because of staffing. Agree, agree, completely agree. And sometimes what happens is like, uh, like you mentioned, I mean, um, maybe it, it is a good time to deploy on holidays because of lesser number of users. But sometimes what happens is uh, uh, in few countries or around few holidays, you can say. Uh, the users might increase over holidays. Let's suppose for for an e-commerce website, people in India or, or around in Asia tend to shop more around these holidays. So what generally happens is managers or the top level uh, guys, you can say, uh, generally uh, make timelines around these holidays. So they say that, okay, these are the set of features we need before Christmas or these are the set of features we need before some other uh, weekend or a long, long uh, weekend you're saying. So in that scenario, what also happens is like, we just try to finish those features irrespective of the regular flow which we do in some other part of part of the calendar and we tend to make mistakes obviously i mean uh, whenever you are just uh, moving away uh, moving away from the flow which you are following you tend to make mistake and that that might lead to a bad deployment or maybe maybe it can affect the normal functionality of the website or some other thing well the other thing is is a lot of the things that you talked about are things that even if it doesn't help you track down where the issue is this time you deployed you know, with the documentation and the testing and continuous integration and all this stuff, you can put tests in and then next time you're not going to have that problem because you have um, the warning that, you know, you broke it again. Agree, agree. 
You know, one thing I, I, I like as well, um, the security world used to be, hey, build a, a thicker wall, uh, make sure that everything is absolutely safe inside the walls or, you know, to get can't get in the walls. But um, we've gotten more sophisticated where we can have threats from everywhere. And, and they seem to have, have uh, evolved to a way of thinking to say, hey, this is a threat model. And we just write down what could possibly go wrong. And I think that works, too, for deploys, for platform, for a lot of things. You know, just turning it around and saying, oh, oh I see. So if, if this happens, how serious is it? How do we know it's gonna ha- not going to happen? And, and it could involve things like, okay, yep, the database was down when we were doing the deploy or we lost network connectivity in this area. Or it doesn't mean that we have to look at everything that could possibly go wrong. But unit tests are really good to say that the, the, the domain works, that, that the business logic around our app is about right. And a lot of our other types of testing will say, yeah, and that works in the environment we provided. And then just thinking for a minute, what could possibly go wrong or an hour and, and just writing them down and how, how serious are they? What do we do? Who's in charge? And just that way, um, we're a little bit ahead of the game when things do go, go funky. Yep, absolutely. Well, and you mentioned the unit tests give us this sanity check on the, um, business logic and you mentioned other kinds of tests and one thing that i'm really bullish on lately is at least having an end-to-end test for your happy path or for the critical paths right so um for example how much money are you going to lose if people can't pay you so that's a critical path so if you have a a test for that then um it'll it'll um handle a lot of that stuff for you just because then you know that, hey, you know, people can at least get in, they can do the basic stuff that they need to be able to do, you know, so that we don't get a bunch of calls on on the critical stuff and we can get paid. And anyway, I, I just find that that's really, really critical. And you don't have to run those tests. A lot of people are like, well, they're slow and I don't want to run them. Well, then don't run them on your development machine. Um, and just run them in CI. And that way you have that sanity check before you actually deploy anything. Yeah, I definitely agree. I like that. that. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I'll be honest. I don't always run every test before, uh, you know, I commit some code. I leverage the CI to do that for me because I want to focus on the development aspect of things. And while I will run the test or have Guard open, which Guard will just kind of run or look at the files that have changed and run the tests around that file. But it doesn't catch everything. And things still can break. And, you know, if you have that covered in your CI, then, you know, you'll get notifications or whatever. So it's good to do. Yeah, and and that's, I mean, I agree with you. And you mentioned having Guard open. Usually I try and keep my unit tests and anything that I can just run fast running in something like Guard. And then everything else, yeah, the the other stuff, you know. And that way I can run some tests before I push, knowing that it'll generally help. So, What I follow generally is like uh, when I make some changes, I uh, try to run some tests related to those files, which, which I made changes. So let's suppose I made a change on model or maybe in controller. So I try to run all those tests, at least written tests in the test, which I've added uh, for the changes. I try to run those on local. And obviously, I mean, um, uh, since if your application grows, there are 
lot of uh, paste around it and it's pretty hard to run uh, those on local or you can set up parallelism and all those stuff but the thing is like ci is for this stuff so they are providing all these they're managing all these stuff so i mean we can rely completely rely on it but yeah sometimes it happens like uh, uh, when you have a lot of tests like integration tests and obviously unit tests you will be having so sometimes it takes a bit of time to run on uh, uh, ci and you have something else uh, which is dependent on the current work so uh, sometimes it helps that you you run the test of the particular file in which you change so that you know okay uh, relating this file everything is working so i can move ahead in rest uh, ci will notify me if something fails mm-hmm. and uh, so this this is a thing too and yeah people uh, people nowadays even even uh, in few projects i am like uh, uh writing those deployment automated deployments around ci so if it is ci is passed just deploy it i mean sometimes like it's not a good thing uh but it depends on your requirement so in uh, in in one chrome extension in which i was working so we just have to do this stuff that whenever you want to deploy just uh, release uh, just create a release branch and uh, just merge into master so if master is passing then uh, the code will automatically push to chrome store so that was the requirement in one scenario but yeah sometimes you want to uh, release in uh, batches like these all set of features we want to release and these also are sometimes it's like okay everything which is going to master we want to release so uh, the people are tend to like uh, building deployment around ci2 for you the listeners of ruby rogues loot crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at lootcrate.com just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Yeah, and that's another huge mitigating factor that you can do with your uh, deployments around a holiday is to have a automated deployment. And it doesn't have to be like fully automated, but some kind of automation where you click a button and it deploys a specified branch or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's going to minimize the human risk error of did I run bundle? Did I run rake assets precompiled? Did we migrate the database and all of that stuff? Because chances are you may not forget it this time, but you're going to forget it one of the times and it's going to bring the production system down. So having a routine way where you can just kick off a execution script, whether it's through Ansible or through your CI CD software or whatever else, or a batch script, even if, you know, that's kind of what you're stuck with, then that's going to be so much more preferred than logging into each one of your 10 web servers or something, and then doing a pull and then bundle and all of that junk. So having that automated to some fashion is going to help mitigate the risks as well. Well, the other thing is, is, I mean, if you have a good system around monitoring, you have a good system around Deployment, like Dave talked about, you've got a good system around, um, you know, your build and your testing in CI and all of these different things. I mean, there's no value then in having somebody do any of it by hand. 
because you, you what you're looking for is you're looking for it to be d- done right and done consistently. And so by automating it, if you, like I said, if you have good automation or good monitoring tools, you know, it could be error tracking through something like Rollbar. It could be um, Nagios. It could be some other reporting engine that you have something hooked up to. So you, you do the deployment and then you just watch it, you know, and so then you can be focused on is, is everything, you know, is the code correct instead of did I take all the right steps when I deployed? And, and so I completely agree with Dave, you know, you, you automate it and then you take advantage of that and you just know this process is solid and it's the other stuff that I'm just going to watch. And, and yeah, and then it gets done right and it gets done consistently. And there's a lot of value in the watching part. I, I used to get myself busy doing other things while things were deploying, but just to stop, pause, watch it and think. Say, okay, I, I understand what's going on. I'm present. I figured it out. Um, maybe the 10,000th deploy, it's not as important, but, you know, being aware of, okay, this is how things are working and I've, I'm part of this, but I, I can watch. It just seems to me that the mind share needs to be spread as somebody is, is, is doing the deploy and they're, they're aware of all the steps, they're aware of how things are going, they're looking at logs, they're, they're, they're confident that they understand how the thing is going. Um, that, that really builds a deep knowledge of, of what we rely on in production. Otherwise, it just feels like a black box to me. Like, oh yeah, that thing happened. Well, what was that thing? You know, were we um, on, you know, new containers? Are we in, you know, do, does the database uh, connection stay up during all this? I mean, where are we? And, and what, what could be going on? So anyway, I, I feel like watching is actually very valuable. And, and I don't feel guilty anymore for just stopping and watching. Yeah, I do have to say, though, and this is something that uh, Dave mentioned was continuous deployment. I mean, once you're deploying four, five, six, seven, eight times a day, you know, and you're deploying little changes, I mean, the, the watching even doesn't have to be done, right? Because you know that it's a small change. It's easy to roll back. You have a process for it. And, um, you know, it's so routine that the odds of something actually breaking are minimal. Yeah, once that gets to be that routine, um, I found that sometimes my deploys, if it's a single server app and it's a, a database, no big deal. But if it's lots of microservices and lots of systems and lots of external connections and batch processes, it takes me longer to, <laughs> to feel, even though there's a lot of them, um, I'll, I'll stop and I'll watch, you know, and, and there's a lot of us that'll do this from time to time. But if I'm the one sending the deploy out, I'll, at least until I really understand what's going on. Um, or that nothing's changed. Yep. Yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, some risk can be mitigated during the development process. So let's say if you have to fix a production bug and you are in a position where you have to make database changes, maybe drop a table column or attribute, whatever, or something like that, then you're able to mitigate the risks by having your web application code being backwards compatible with the new schema and then in a later migration drop the actual attribute from the database. So there's a lot of things that if you have the foresight in the development that, hey, what we're making, these changes, we want to make sure that if something goes wrong and if we do have to roll back, that we're rolling back the easiest point or the easiest part of our application so that we're not affecting 
the core law, the core structure of our uh, environment, and that's usually your database because the database is where your bread and money is. That stores all the important bits and pieces. So if your web code can be backwards compatible with a uh, with your new version of the database, then you can be much better off to roll back in the event of a crisis. I like that. And it seems to be underlying uh, the thing we seem to be saying is that, that there's no DevOps team. We're all DevOps, even though I'll sometimes talk about DevOps because there's people that specifically focus on on that every day that getting involved and, and understanding it myself and maybe fixing scripts or like you said, you know, writing migrations in a way that's going to work, that's going to deploy better um, so that I can do it in a two-stage way. Uh, yeah, it, it's not just writing <laughs> models and views and controller code. It's it's deploying a system. Yeah, and uh, uh, like Dave said about rollback. So uh, one thing more is like uh, rollback should be pretty easy. So sometimes what happens is, I mean, I generally don't like it. Sometimes migration, we tend to make irreversible migrations. Few gems and few libraries tend to do so. So let's suppose we have included something, some migration like that. On, on a normal day, uh, you know that, okay, I mean, you are working on that and if you're deploying. So if it's an irreversible migration, then you know what to do next. But what, what, what's on holiday? So let's suppose you deployed something and uh, it needs to be rolled back and it's an uh, irreversible migration. So or, or maybe something like that, which can't be reversed. So that's like a very hard thing. I mean, for anyone who is debugging during holidays or even after the holidays, if the person uh, who is concerned related to that has, hasn't joined the team. So that that's one thing to that uh, rollback should be pretty easy to do for, for anyone if something goes pretty wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we are faced with a situation where it is a irreversible migration. Maybe we are manipulating the database in a way where it would be much more uh, risky to roll back. So in those cases, you know, especially in those cases, you have to be super careful around deploying around a holiday just because, I mean, bad, bad things can happen. So uh, in those kind of things, I would say that, you know, you have to have a pre-prod environment. I think we get into situations with startups or whatever where they want to run such a minimal skeletal environment or architecture just to save a buck or two. And that can be so dangerous when, you, when you're talking about the thing that actually brings in the money. So having the proper investment in a maybe scaled down pre-production environment and test Test things out there. You know, test your disaster recovery. Test doing a rollback. Test to see if your application code is backwards compatible with your new schema. You know, doing those kind of things and having them done prior to a production deployment will give you insight of what the risks are and what what you are not going to be able to do if something production related happens. You know, this is reminding me, you know, all this great stuff we know how to do. And I, this is really good advice. There's something, remember, I'm remembering uh, one Christmas season and I was in the movies with my girlfriend and I get a call and I come out, it's my boss's boss. And he says, the system's down, it's your fault. We're losing millions of dollars fixing it. Oh, man. <laughs> and so I, I leave her in the, in the theater and I'm off and I'm, I'm, I'm finding the nearest internet connection. What's going on? What's going on? 
all hands on deck. We get it fixed. It wasn't me. It was the the boss's boss's son was changing things in production, completely outside oh, of our no. best. We, we knew how to deploy good code. <laughs> <laughs> and this kid who didn't know anything about anything um, was messing around and, and ruined our database. And, uh, and we got everything recovered and, and he was invited to leave the team. <laughs> but, but yeah, so it matters too that we, we, we've got to have good plays, uh, that we can play and that we also have to make sure we're, we're playing the plays we can play. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that brings up a huge point. And I think that a lot of older companies that are established maybe maybe have not adopted this kind of concept or even some even startups or new companies are too small to not have the proper segregation of responsibilities but developers really shouldn't need access to the production environment and i know that it it absolutely makes it easier and quicker to resolve issues or bugs when a production issue arises if the developer who wrote the code has access to that environment, but that is a risk. And if we're talking about risk assessment and risk mitigation, then getting your developers out of the production environment is a good way to reduce that risk because mistakes happen. We are humans and we will make mistakes and not having that developer having access to the production environment. It, it, it makes sense in a lot of ways if you are an established company, but if you're some little schmo like me with drift Ruby or something, well, I am the developer of the DevOps and all that stuff. You know, you just have to make good decisions of when to deploy. But you know, if you are a company, if you do have the staff, then you need to really consider those kind of things. Well, and just to pile on there, I mean, I worked at one company where we had zero access to production at all. And when stuff broke, um, we either went to the DevOps guys to get access to the logs or eventually, um, you know, we could have set up something like Logstash. We could have set up something where we had read access to the database. You know, if if there weren't regulations, in that case there were, um, you know, there weren't regulations on who had access to the data when and how. Um, but there are a lot of ways where you can give people access to the information that they need from production without actually handing off um, full write, commit, you know, move stuff around uh, where they can actually do damage on production. Absolutely. And granted, and I mean, even read access to the database, you can wind up running a query that slows things down, but you're not going to hurt anything. You might cause a temporary outage, but that's it. Yeah, that's that's how we do things where I'm at right now. We're, we're a fintech company. And so we have only three of us that have access to production um, systems. And then we rotate. So two of them stay there. I'm, I'm in the rotation right now of, of full access to everything. Um, I try to stay read only. And, and basically what I do is anytime I need to get in there and do anything, we're taking notes of anything I did so that we can replace those activities with tools. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, a dev can safely get the information they don't have or report or whatever it is that we didn't have yet that, that I had to go in there. And so we make it intentionally hard to get in there. And and then, like you said, it's for me, I, I, I can have full access if I need it, but we log everything and we know what I'm doing. And that way, hopefully nothing goes wrong. Nothing has. And um, but yeah, and then replacing with automated tests or automated systems that are well tested that that. Devs shouldn't be back there, not not in production. 
Well, yeah. and um, oh, go ahead, Dave. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, there are ways that you can mitigate the need to even having to have uh, access to production from a developer standpoint, especially when you're debugging an issue. If you do handle sensitive data, whether uh, you had to be HIPAA compliant or whatever the situation is, if you're dealing with social security numbers or um, sensitive information, then obfuscate the data. You know, have a utility or something that will pull down the production data, obfuscate it, load it into a pre-prod environment. Uh, if you're using Docker, then you can use um, the whatever it's called, the Kubernetes, Kubernetes, the Apache yeah. thing. Yeah. Then you can use that, you know, and it's going to make it a lot easier to get a production-like environment on a pre-prod environment where you can just go nuts, not have to worry about uh, messing with any kind of production data while still being able to replicate the issue and have access to the servers that you need. Yeah. In fact, we've even done one step beyond that, which I thought was clever. Uh, we ended up building a separate system that has the most critical information in it that literally nobody can see. Um, you know, it, it doesn't even have to be obfuscated coming back. So I can't see credit card numbers, their last four, their anything really crazy that I don't want to see. Uh, we don't want we don't want that around us. I, I like having separation of concerns anyway, and I, and I think that's what we're talking about in general. That you know that separation of concerns, bring it back with Kubernetes and and Docker, um, obfuscate, only use devs that that, that have to be in there. Sometimes um, find a way to get around it in the future. It's, it's separating all of our concerns about what could go wrong, which I I think healthy. Well, the other thing is, and this is important with just team communication in general, is when you run into an instance where somebody doesn't have access to production and they're saying, I need access because I need to see, change, touch, use, whatever, these tools or these utilities or whatever, um, then you can have the conversation about how to build the tools that David's talking about. You know, you can start saying, oh, well, um, we can't give you that access, so we need to, you know, we need to talk about how to get around it. It's I think sometimes we come into this and we think that there's a, quote, right way <laughs> to do this, right? And that we just should know what it is. And that's not always the case. It's all it's it's an always evolving set of problems that we're dealing with. And so, you know, if you're open to having the conversation, then you can say, okay, well, maybe you do need temporary access or maybe we have a way of giving you this kind of temporary access. Or maybe there's a way around it so that you can just get that piece of information without having to touch anything that's too risky you know and, and I, I think <laughs> a little bit of confession going on right now you know in specifically on that point where i've been the dev that says oh i need to have this and it, or it has to be this way and the mature people around me said okay wait a minute let's think for a second and we we found another way and i like that that a team can come together you know somebody can have in mind say the the threat of what could go wrong if we have to have it that way. And so we force ourselves to be creative. Just just because it was my first idea doesn't mean it was the best idea. And um, and so I, I've liked that too, that it really should be a conversation. Um, so I like having been on both sides of that conversation, but <laughs> confessing that I've been, <laughs> the guys say, hey, I got to have that. And then, I, then we realize, no, I really don't. Let's just think this through. Yeah, and not only that, but you know, uh, if we're talking again, if we're talking about risks, then 
you know, as David, you said with your example of the movie theater and your boss's boss calling you, you know, you are, let's say you were the primary dev on that project. So you have great value that brings to the team uh, or maybe irreplaceable value at this point. And by having access to a production environment, the company is taking a huge risk because if your cost outweighs your value or if your damage outweighs your value, then they're probably going to have to get rid of you. A a boss's boss or upper management, they're going to want to point fingers at someone. And if you're the one who is the primary dev on a project and you have the production access and you mess something up in production, that's a fireable offense, then you're putting not only yourself in a really bad position, but also the company. And those kind of things should be separated or mitigated through the separation of responsibilities. Absolutely. And and like I said, somebody did lose their job over it and it was the boss's boss's son. And I love that. I mean, you know, that, that because, you know, we didn't have, you know, if we mitigate those issues, if, if I don't have to be in there, if I don't have the ability to ruin everything, um, then probably I'm not going to make those uh, kinds of mistakes. Um, in, in grad school, we used to call those career limiting uh, moves, CLMs. <laughs> <laughs> so you should probably do well unless you do a CLM. If you do a CLM, we don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> One point I would like to add is uh, uh, like something like we discussed in a startup, we generally do not have that uh, kind of infrastructure where we have uh, pre-production staging. And uh, uh, sometimes we, uh, when, when an issue comes up, we tend to give developers few access, like uh, Charles mentioned, like read access of database or sometimes even write access or something else. So, uh, I mean, sometimes it might be required, but yeah, we can find a way around or we can find a good way to solve these scenarios. But um, we should, I think, uh, roll back the change. Uh, so what happens is, let's suppose you found, found an issue and uh, developers said that, okay, I need this privilege. And okay, we said if, if it can uh, resolve the issue in a smaller span of time, go ahead, do it. But what happens after that is, no, uh, I mean, generally people uh, do not change uh, change the privilege. So they say that, okay, if this issue happened one time, it might happen another time, so let it be. So in that scenario, what happens is like uh, people generally do not go to find a solution around that privilege or something like that. And it, it remains the way as it is. So even even sometimes in a startup, like if we if we are giving some permission, I think we can review it after after the bug is fixed, or maybe maybe we can just schedule a time in which we have to look around a way so that this issue or maybe this particular type of privilege requirement doesn't come up. Yeah, and I really like the companies who do that, where they understand that sometimes it is just easier or better to have the dev act given them access to that environment and it it should be avoided and as you as you stated reducing the privileges once the issue is resolved you know that's just properly maintaining your assets your employees and reducing the risks that say hey we care about you we don't want you to get fired over something dumb like making a mistake in production so after the issue is resolved and we got a fix we're reducing your access to that environment. You know, it just, it's business sense and it makes sense. And it's all about risk management or reducing risks. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, like, if you don't revoke their emergency war powers, then they uh, go from being the chancellor to the emperor. And that's just bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I like that if it's not about the, the ego, you know, if it's like I, I'm supposed to have all this access because it makes me, you know, about powerful developers. Like, no, no, no. A powerful developer can can actually have a holiday, can walk away. That's kind of a nice thing to be able to do as well. Yeah. And using the excuse, well, this is the way that we've always done it is not a good excuse for restructuring how you're doing things. Completely. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. One thing more I would like to add here is like uh, when we were talking about holiday season and deployment. So I would like to talk about like uh, what after holidays. So what happens is like suppose if there are five or six like days off in a day, then you tend to get a lot of emails right uh, from some from some service like Honey Badger or something like that. So what happens is like uh, on on a, on a regular basis, like if there are like 50 emails and there are 10 error emails, then you tend to look at them, uh, those emails, and then you say that, okay, these, these, are, these are normal emails, those need not to be fixed, and these need to be fixed. But what happens is like after five, six days, there are tons of emails. And it's pretty common that you tend to lose few uh, few errors, which 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 are actually critical, which can come up again, and, and like and which can like uh, cause a serious uh, business issue in in coming days or maybe maybe in a day when when there are more number of users. So uh, uh, one uh, one thing which. Uh, I mean, I don't know if uh, a lot of people are doing it like uh, you have to be some way of sorting your error, error emails and you need to check it. Even even if it's like a normal error email or something like that, I think you should uh, one should check it uh, so that uh, nothing misses out. Yeah. And for the critical things with the applications I work with, uh, I use I, uh, heavily rely on Slack and Sentry. So Sentry will notify me of production errors that are occurring and then it'll ping slack to a channel that uh, i monitor i get phone notifications on my watch or whatever when something gets posted in there and it immediately captures my attention so my inbox is usually littered with uh junk coming in and even though i have filters in place to just automatically delete them or whatever uh there's still so much that parses through so anything that's critical I don't like email. Uh, I don't. I prefer not to have my email as my source of information, but rather have it post somewhere else that will capture my attention. You know, kind of like flag it out. That to me feels like the the final cap. It shouldn't come last, but when that's all done and it's monitored well, and I know that if things go wrong, I'm going to hear about it. Once I have that confidence, that's when I feel like I finally accomplished something. Well, that's the whole thing, right? I mean, we're talking about the holidays. The last thing that anybody wants is to spend Christmas. I mean, it's one thing to have to spend Christmas, you know, fixing crap that broke. It's another thing to spend Christmas with, you know, that feeling of something lurking over your shoulder because you're not quite sure if that deploy that happened on Christmas Eve is going to be a happy thing or not, right? And so you wind up spending the whole, the whole day in dread of getting that phone call. And nobody wants that. Um, I mean, I, I would much rather just have something break and know that, okay, it's all fixed and I can just, I can just go relax with my kids instead of, you know, spending the whole day wondering if I'm going to get that phone call. So yeah, if, if it were down to me, you know, having the monitoring, having all that stuff in place so that, Hey, if you know, it's, it's all being watched, all the common, you know, avenues of problems are, are being, you know, monitored and, you know, I'll get notified. So I can just, as long as I have my phone with me, I can just relax. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Anything else we want to add before we hit picks? 
Uh, I will take the extended silence as a no. Let's let's do picks. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. All right, David, do you want to start us off? Sure, I've got two today. Um, one is um, related to our conversation today. It's just the um, threat models um, that comes from uh, uh, the people that know everything about this OWASP. So bridging from the security to the to the, the DevOps world, uh, it's pretty good. It's easy to do. So you just create a document to think about what could go wrong. And then the other one is a book. Um, uh, I've been reading or listening to on Audible, and uh, <laughs> it's a. Uh, let me look it up real quick because there it is: Human Heart, Cosmic Heart, and it's by um, Dr. Thomas Cowan. So what it's interesting about this is he's a cardiologist and he's talking about heart health and keeping my heart healthy. And I figured for 2018, uh, I'm going to figure out what I'm doing about my heart, <laughs> not just exercise and eat right, you know, but, but relaxing, getting enough sleep and, and understanding the physiology of my heart. So it'll give me, it's, it's full of tons of um, terminology that I don't know well, but I'm feeling like I'm, I'm starting to understand, you know, how to, how to figure out my life as a developer that I don't overdo it. And that I have a sense of, you know, what's really important with long-term health. Awesome. That's a pretty good new year's resolution. Don't die. <laughs> don't die this year. Let's, let's, let's get ready for 2019 next year. Let's make sure this is a good one. <laughs> I failed on that one this year. Let's, let's try and do better. <laughs> uh, uh, Dave, what are your picks? So I have two picks. Uh, my first pick is the Electro Voice RE20. It's a microphone that I treated myself with this Christmas holiday, and I love it. Uh, it's super huge, much bigger than the previous Shure SM58 that I was using, but I've been really impressed with it so far. And my second pick is uh, the Rails Active Storage. So in a recent Drifter Ruby episode that I just covered on Actors Storage, I really went in-depth into a lot of what it's about using it, all the different features and stuff. And I must say that it is by far the easiest and uh, one of the best implementations of file uploading in Rails that I've come across so far. Uh, you know, second to that would be Shrine. And then, you know, stuff like Carrier Wave and Refile. But uh, so far, I've been super happy and excited about active storage. Nice. We should do an episode on that. That sounds great. 
All right, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. Um, first of all, I've been playing this uh, dumb game on my phone, and um, it's called Eternium, and it's kind of like uh, Diablo, uh, you know, uh, better graphics than the first one, you know, not as good a graphics as the second one, but you just, you know, you tap around, and you attack crap, and um, anyway, so I, I, I'm, I've been enjoying that, and uh, I have... On here somewhere, I should have a referral code, and I'll put that in the show notes. Um, I don't think reading it aloud is going to help anybody. So I will put it in the show notes for the show, and that way, um, you know, if you want to go try it out, then you get 50 gems for being my friend, and I get 50 gems for you being my friend. Um, but yeah, it's it's a free game on my iPhone. Uh, my brother-in-law recommended it to me, and uh, yeah, so I've just been playing it off and on during the day. Um but yeah, so I'm going to pick that. And then um, I got a couple of other awesome Christmas presents. And so I'm just going to pick those because I'm excited to play with them. Um, one of them is um, my mother-in-law got me. Uh, um, it's it's essentially an Atari, except it has a hard drive in it with all the games on it. So you don't have to switch cartridges. Um, got my wife the, the Sega. So, um, you know, both of those. I also have a Nintendo uh, NES system that's kind of the same deal and those those are just fun um all the old games that i played when i was a kid um so yeah so i'm gonna pick those and then um i got a smoker it's the size of a mini fridge i can smoke two turkeys at the same time and uh, i'm looking forward to cooking with that and uh, i also got an instant pot um, i told my wife to get these for me so she got them happily you know and uh, she's looking forward to me using them <laughs> we'll just put it that way so yeah, um, I've, I've just been really enjoying the keto diet and enjoying, uh, I just, I, cooking for me is relaxing. So, um, you know, having all that stuff and then having like some video games that I can just kick back and go, oh, I remember playing this as a kid. Tons of fun. Um, and then go check out the Indiegogo Go-Go's for the show. I'll just throw that in as well. Um, Amit, what are your picks? Okay, so one thing, yeah, like I mentioned uh, in the beginning, so 2.5.0 is released. So I was just checking at the uh, RubyLang website and uh, it was fun, like watching performance improvements, like 5 to 10% performance improvement in new methods and how these uh, new methods are, like, are giving good ben- benchmark results. So uh, it's it's exciting to note. And when you go to these changes, when you actually see what all the code changes are made and then you think, okay, oh, this, this can be done this way. And now it's like, it's uh, highly uh, improved so that's a good thing which uh, which i was going through yesterday one thing like um, um david mentioned about health so i was going through a book uh, that was named as like uh, lose your weight don't lose your mind so uh, it was just like about uh, people tend to do a lot of dieting these days and uh, it, it was all about like good eating and a healthy exercise so i, I mean a lot of people know about this but yeah, i was just going through it and it, it really has some good points so yeah, even my resolution is to <laughs> be fit, fit in 2018, and not not uh, I mean to be alive by 2018. So that's that's the thing. These two are two stuff which I would like to pick. Cool. If people want to see what you're working on now on GitHub or Twitter or a blog or anything like that, where should they go? Uh, okay, so blog, as I mentioned, so most of the blogs are written on blog.bigbindy.com, and uh, my Twitter, uh, my uh, GitHub handle is uh, Amit-Chaudhary. Uh, yeah, so I even mentioned it on chat. 
so yeah these are all the stuff uh, these are all the places which uh, you can go and find my new uh, blogs or maybe more blogs from big binary and this is the my github vendor where you can find my new comments awesome all right well we'll go ahead and wrap this one up and we will catch everyone next week all right bye bye thanks bye. for coming to me bye thanks thanks Charles. It, it was nice talking to you guys Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.